Okay, welcome to our fourth class today. We're going to review question three on the catechism and then we will learn question four together. So let's pray and we'll get started. Father in heaven, thanks for this day that you've given us, the day that you've made. Help us to rejoice and be glad in it. I thank you for all the people that you got here safely this morning for those still on their way. Bring them here safely. Thank you for all the time you give us, whether it's on our own or together like this, to learn, to read your word together, not just to read it, but to think about it and to understand it and to be reminded of the truth that at least I know for myself, I easily forget throughout the week. So, remind us now of these great truths, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're on question four. We're going to get to question four today. So, quick review though. Question one, what is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but belong body and soul both in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Excellent. Question two, what is God? God is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. He is eternal, infinite, and unchangeable in His power and perfection, goodness and glory, Wisdom, justice, and truth. Nothing happens except through Him and by His will. And question three. This is what we're reviewing from last week. Hopefully you memorized it this week before. How many persons are there in God? There are three persons in the one true and living God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are the same in substance, equal in power and glory. Middle school or younger? No freshmen sneaking in here. Middle school or younger, can you stand up and answer that question loud and proud? Alexander, you going to take a shot? Alright, let's hear it. How many persons are there in God? There are three persons in the one, two, and living God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are the same in substance, equal in power and glory. Perfect. Nice job. Ready? Okay. Anyone else? Let me guess. Joshua. Let's hear it loud and proud. Oh, sorry. Nailed your mom. My bad. <laughs> All right, Caleb, stand up loud and proud. Okay, well done. My shoulder's feeling better this week, so. Wesley. Father, 
Nice job, Wes. You're all ready, right? I just want to make sure that some of you look checked out. And that could go really bad for you. Be a rough start to... Oh, did you... Is anybody watching that? That was sweet. That was like Araldus Chapman. Speed, some movement. Jackson. Nice job. If you want, it's interesting. I'm figuring out how to throw these. You got to go right, and then they hook. They hook. Okay, this is great. Uh, Allie. They. They are. Substance. Equal in power and glory. All right. Next week, Allie. Next week, Allie. Let's get it next week. Oh, we've got it back here. Let's hear it. What's your, what's your name, little guy? All right, Logan. You know what? Let's hear it. How many persons are there in God? Nice. <laughs> Done. <laughs> Do you know who the three persons are? I was good with that. Nice job, Logan. Is your little sister, does she want to do it too? Right, we had a couple more hands, right? Okay, let's hear it, Stella. How many persons are there in God? Nice job, Stella. Okay, anyone else? Huh? You want to do it? <laughs> I know I know the Roll family knows it because I've heard they've been saying it even at other people's homes throughout the week. So so good job. Okay, anyone else? You want to do it now? Okay, let's hear it. How many persons are there in God? Thank you. What's your name? Reagan. Reagan, is that right? Good job, Reagan. You're welcome. Okay, how many persons are there in God? Now it's stalled. There are three persons in the one true and living God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are the same in substance, equal in power and glory. So we introduced and learned that last week. So there's one God. Our one God exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are not unequal in power and glory. They are the same in substance. So now today, for some reason it's not projecting up there, so you know what it is. Question four is what we're going to learn now. How and why did God create us? Let's give this one sec to see if I can get it to come up. If not, I'll bail on it. 
There we go. Question four, how and why did God create us? And let's say it together. God created us, male and female, in His own image to know Him, love Him, live with Him, and glorify Him. And it is right that we who were created by God should live to His glory. And for the kids, if they want to memorize this week, and it's too much to do the whole thing, it would be the highlighted part that God created us male and female in His own image to glorify Him. So that's question four. And now, as usual, let's make sure that we understand what this question is teaching us, and most importantly, where this is biblically rooted. So let me read you some scriptures that give us the biblical origin of the truth we have in this statement. Most of you have heard this text. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So you know the creation story. And you know that on the sixth day, Genesis 1.27 happened. That's when God created man in his own image. Which means that man is the... It means lots of things. It means that mankind is the pinnacle of God's creation. In that sense, in His creation, God saved the best of His creation for last. It means, of course, that man is distinct and different from anything else in God's creation. There's not a small difference between man and animal. There's vast difference between man and animal. We're told that man is an image bearer of God. So let's think about what that means. What does that mean to be created in the image of God? Well, the word literally image means replica, actually. So it certainly means that, that we resemble God. Not that we are God. Not that we're like God in every way. Of course not. But we do resemble God. We do, as people, have unique capacities. Again, unique capacities that are not shared by anything else in God's creation. Things like morality, a sense of reason, intelligence, capacity for relationship and other complex emotions, creativity. Human beings have been given an ability to undercreate, to create things under God. In the, and you see this in the Old Testament of your Bible, we have some examples of this, but in the ancient Near East, polytheistic kings who believed that they ruled on behalf of gods, that they were here ruling on behalf of gods, some of them, in fact, that believed that they were gods, they would set up and build images. They would build images of themselves throughout their kingdom. And those images built throughout their kingdom was a sign of their authority. Well, 
That's something else that, that is made clear in the first few chapters of Genesis that not only has God created us in His image, but He has created us in His image to rule on this earth. To rule over the things on this earth. The word is dominion. To have dominion. So we are here, image bearers of God, as His representatives, as vice regents. And we have been endowed with authority from God to rule and have dominion over this earth. So these are all things that we're talking about when we talk about being image bearers of God. As well, we're told that God has created us male and female in His own image. There's an emphasis in Genesis 1.27 that the image of God is seen in complementarian relationships. So God has created men and women differently. Men are image bearers of God, I would say, in different ways, in unique ways, than women are image bearers of God. And women are image bearers of God, I would say, in some unique ways, different from men. And men and women, when they are together and become one in a complementarian marriage, also in a unique way, image God. They display things about the relationship of God. As they are obedient to God and a good husband and a good wife, they are displaying something even about the relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So we have been created male and female in the image of God. 1 Peter 4.11 is another text. says, Whoever speaks... As one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be, why are we here, glorified through Jesus Christ to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. So this gets to the why. So how did God create us? Well, He created us male and female. And He created us in His own image. By the way, this is becoming more and more important to emphasize in our culture today. Because the distinction between men and women is becoming more and more blurred. Unfortunately, even in churches that claim to be evangelical Christianity. But the line is getting blurred more and more and more between men and women. And even people who call themselves Christians are adopting some of those views. And you can today, in this city, find churches filled with people who will affirm what the culture affirms. And so it's very appealing to Christians. So I can be a Christian And I can capitulate to the culture and I cannot get in fights and I can not disagree and I can avoid conflict and I can have the same views of gender as the world around me and still be a Christian. Well, it's not actually true. That's not actually true. The Bible has a lot to say about this. We went through this and have many times in our series on manhood and womanhood. God doesn't make any mistakes. He doesn't make any mistakes. 
If you find out, if you're pregnant and you find out you're going to have a boy or a girl, it's okay to have a gender reveal party. That party doesn't have to wait until they're 25. But some people would say that today. Some people would say that and be offended that you would have a gender reveal party before the child is even born. You have no right to make that assumption. You don't know whether they're going to be a man or a woman. That might sound crazy and funny to you. But that would not sound crazy and funny to many people in our country or in our world today. So it's just important that we go back and remember, no, God doesn't make any mistakes. God has created us male and female, and he's created us in his own image. Now, why? So why did God make us? There's lots of theories there, too. That's why we need these truths. He wasn't lonely. He didn't need a buddy. He didn't need a friend. Heaven wasn't depressing, and you're the answer, and you're the key. He created us to know him, to love him, to live with him, and glorify him. Then that's good and right. It's the last sentence. And it is right that we who were created by God should live to his glory. I hope you ask yourself, what is the right thing for me to do? And many people, Christian or not, ask themselves that question. Right? We're moral beings. What is the right thing to do? What is the wrong thing to do? When you're faced with a decision... I've got A, got B, C, D. What is the right decision to make here? What is the right thing? I need to say something. What is the right thing to say? I'm being asked the question. What is the right answer? This, this person needs help. What is the right thing for me to do? Today, you're going to have hundreds of decisions that you're going to need to make. And you're going to constantly be asking yourself, I hope, what is the right thing to do here? And I hope you want to do whatever the right thing is. Your life. You're going to have decision after decision after decision. Those of you who are young, you're going to make major decisions in the next 10 years that are going to set the trajectory of the rest of your entire life. And you should be asking yourself, what is the best thing to do? What is the right thing to do? Well, here is the, the, the overarching answer to that question. It's to glorify God. So you and I have been created not for ourselves, but for God. We have been created to glorify him, to honor him. So the question we must always be asking ourselves is, what will glorify God? Now, that doesn't always make it clear, right? That doesn't always answer your question. Because you could have three things that you could do, and they'd all glorify God. They could all honor God. It's not figuring out the one thing. That's not what we're talking about. But it will rule some things out, won't it? So what will glorify God? It is right that we who were created by God should live to his glory. So as you think about your life, as you ask those deep questions that the author of Ecclesiastes has been asking, these why questions, remember that God has created you to know him, to love him, to live with him, and to glorify him. And you will not you will not be happy if that's not the direction you're headed. Maybe superficially, maybe for a brief time, but not eternally, not deeply. Let's get some couple more scriptures. Uh, 2 Corinthians 
4.4 says, In their case, the God of this world, these are unbelievers, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. I probably should have shared that after I read a brief commentary from John Piper. I think it'll make more sense then. But if you have your Bible, open up to Psalm chapter 8. This is the, obviously there's lots of verses we could read, but this is the one that I wanted to read together. We're thinking about why we're here and answering that we are here to glorify God. That, of course, is all over the Psalms. And it's here in Psalm 8. The psalmist is, David is praising God here. He's glorifying God here. David gets why he's here. He doesn't always do it well. He's like you or me. And he failed miserably. But God says he's a man after my own heart. And that's an amazing thing to hear. Especially if you know David and you know his life and you know his failures. I mean, he screwed up big time. Big time. And yet, God says, that's a man who loves me with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. At the end of the day, listen to things like this that come out of his mouth. Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That's the text the catechism references, and it encompasses many of the things in that statement. So now let me read you uh, these paragraphs, these are in the commentary that goes along with the catechism. And this week they had a couple paragraphs from J.C. Ryle. And then they had a few paragraphs from John Piper. And I thought it'd be good to read the one from Dr. Piper. So here's what he says about this. Why do people make images People make images to image. They want to image forth something. If you make a statue of Napoleon, you want people to think not so much about the statue of Napoleon, and you make the statue a way that shows something specific about the character of Napoleon. So God makes us in His image. We could argue about whether it is our rationality or morality or our volition that makes us His image. The point is, He makes humans in His image to image something, namely Himself. So our existence 
is about showing God's existence or specifically it's about showing God's glory, which I think means God's manifold perfections. The glory he's talking about, the radiance, the display, the streaming out of his many colored, beautiful perfections. We want to think and live and act and speak in such a way that we draw attention to the manifold perfections of God. And I think the way we do that is by being totally satisfied in those perfections ourselves. They mean more to us who God is. They mean more to us than money, more to us than fame, more to us than sex, or anything else that might compete for our affections. And when people see us valuing God that much and His glory being that satisfying, they see that He is our treasure. Show me more. I think that's what it means to glorify God by being in His image. Last paragraph. And the place where the glory is shown most clearly is the gospel where Christ dies. That was the 2 Corinthians 4.4 reference. I say that because in 2 Corinthians 4.4 it says, the God of this world, that's Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Do you want to know where the glory of God is shining most brightly? It is shining in Christ in the gospel most brightly. So if we want to be conformed fully into His image and display to others His glory, there's a verse just before that says that beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And that comes from the Holy Spirit. So, again, how we have been created as male and female in God's image. Why have we been created? To know Him, to know God, to love God, to live with God, and to glorify God. And it is right that we who were created by God should live to His glory. And so, wanting to live for the glory of God means wanting to live in such a way that I reflect His perfections. That the way I act and the way I speak and the things that I do would make much of God, would point to God. Specifically, my reliance on Him, my dependence on Him, my enjoyment of Him, as the world sees that, they come to know that this God must be a good God. He must be a great God. He must be the treasure we say He is. Now, that's the goal. And I hope that if I live to be 70 or 75, that I, I hope I do it much better than I do it now. I hope I image God better than I do now. I hope I look more like Jesus. I, I hope I speak better. I hope I act better. I hope I think better. Um, 
I know I have a long way to go. But that's where I'm going. That's where we should be going. We want to glorify him. So let's review that. Again, we'll just do it a a couple times so it doesn't sound like we're chanting it. (laughs) Question four. How and why did God create us? God created us male and female in his own image to know him, love him, live with him and glorify him. And it is right that we who were created by God should live to his glory. Let's just do it one more time. How and why did God create us? God created us, male and female, in his own image to know him, love him, live with him, and glorify him. And it is right that we who were created by God should live to his glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for time this morning to read your word and by the help of your Holy Spirit to understand your word. And now we set our minds to this next question and answer and ask that this week you would help us not merely to memorize this answer, but to understand its truth. And we ask that you would sink this truth as you have the others, we hope, deeply into our hearts. That we are here, that You have created us, that you have created us men and women, that you've created us in your image and that we are here to know you. We are here to love you. We are here to live with you and for you, to glorify you. And it is right as your creation that we should live for your glory and your glory alone. So help us in this, we pray in Jesus name. Amen.